0: 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're in this series called We the Church. And, uh, you know, just thinking about what does it mean to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? You may be here today. You say, man, unless doesn't, <clears throat> unless that doesn't really describe me. That's not me yet, okay? <clears throat> but you might need to know more about what it means for us to be what we call the church. And we go to church, all right? And we say we are in church, but really we are the church. And so what does that look like? What does that mean? We're in First Corinthians chapter sixteen. I know it seems like we've been in First Corinthians for years and maybe we have been, but we're at the very end of this important letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. I know there might be people out there saying, why are we at the <laughs> reading this stuff at the very end? You know, there's no there's no real doctrine there. There's no real meat there. I love the end of Paul's letters. I do because it gets so personal. It gets so real. And this is where we really kind of discover <clears throat> what the everyday life of the church was like. And we get a window into the mind and the habits and the values and the principles of the Apostle Paul and also just the day-to-day life of the early church. And what was it like? And so 1 Corinthians chapter 16 We're going to read verses 5 through 12. Paul says this, After I go through Macedonia, I'm going to come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But, so you kind of see he's a little bit unsure about what's going to come next. He says, but... He's very sure about this. I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. And if Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him, send him on his way in peace so he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. I just want to tell you today that I'm so excited about sharing this with you because there's a part of this passage that has been invaluable to me in my personal life. And we're going to talk about that here in a few moments. And so I'm so excited to talk about this with you today. The title is Stay On. I want to ask you a question to think about today. How do you know if you're succeeding? What is your definition of success? And is your definition of success a good one. Is it a valid definition of success? You know, we all want to be successful, don't we? We want to be a part of things that are succeeding. If your team is losing, if your business is failing, if your church is dying, man, nobody wants to be there. Right? You just jump off of it like fleas off a dead dog. But in your personal life, in your Christian life, in our life together, corporately as a church, what is success? What is success for a church? What is success for a fully devoted? follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this with me for a moment. Would you consider the Apostle Paul a success? I think if you were to use the metrics that we use in our society today, most of us would say no. Because when he died, he had no worldly possessions, he was in prison, and he was beheaded by the most important man in the world, the Emperor of Rome. We would say no, that was a terrible, terrible, wasted, tragic life. And yet, if he were to use the most important metrics for measuring success, he absolutely would be. Mothers and fathers for centuries have been giving their boys his name, Paul. And they call their dogs Nero, you know, that kind of thing. Think about it. The book of Romans that he wrote, the letter to the Romans, in the eyes of many people is considered to be the most important words ever written in human literature because it became the foundation for all of Western civilization. You know, here in America, we love this whole idea of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, the rights of the individual, et cetera, et cetera. Those things were never even talked about or thought about until after the writing of the the apostle Paul, but particularly the book of Romans, the rights of the individual. Every week, billions of people all around the world are gonna be doing what I'm doing, know expounding on and reading and trying to understand the words that he wrote but again at the end of his life imprisoned in a dungeon marched outside the city limits of rome where he was beheaded a few faithful followers took his body buried it in a shallow grave there's a massive church there now in rome but at the time it was just a, a forgotten grave a pauper's grave in second timothy you see that many close many of his closest companions abandoned him and he had no worldly possessions, he asked Timothy to bring him his cloak. It's almost as if the only thing he had was this piece of clothing. But he did leave behind communities of students or disciples of Jesus all across southern Europe and the Middle East, and they gathered a few of his letters, and those letters then became the foundation of what we call our New Testament which there again began to change the world. It shook the world as we know it. There was a great preacher back in the 1800s. He said this, D.L. Moody, Our greatest fear should not be failure, but succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. I wrote that on my desk pad because that hit me like a brick when I read that. If you succeed at something, you can be wildly successful, but if you have the wrong definition for success, you've actually been a failure. You know, by the way, <clears throat> ladies, it is the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? The NFL season is beginning this week, all right? <laughs> so I'm so fired up. And see, y'all just know, y'all just need to know from, for the next five months, we're going to have football illustrations on Sunday mornings, okay? It's just going to be that way. But Melanie, we're driving home from New Mexico, and Melanie's like, hey, there's a podcast with this guy named Derek Carr. Do you want to listen to it? I was like, oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of Derek Carr, quarterback of the Las Vegas Raiders. Eight NFL seasons, 200 touchdowns. He holds the Raider record for passing yards. He's been to 3 Pro Bowls. He's considered by many to be one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. He's elite. And he related in this podcast an event from his life that just blew me away. And I've never heard anything like it before. He was raised in a godly home in Bakersfield, California and Sugarland, Texas. And as a boy, he said he I said I knew I wanted to do two things. I want to play quarterback in the NFL. He said I knew I wanted to preach. All right. And he was drafted by the, the uh, then Oakland Raiders in the second round in 2014, and he signed a $5.5 million contract. And so he goes to training camp his rookie year, and he's jogging out of the field for his first practice. And he said, as soon as my feet hit the grass, he said, I was just overcome by an overwhelming sense of God's presence. He said, I hadn't felt like that since the day I gave my life to the Lord as a little boy, just this overwhelming sense of God's presence and he said I could just distinctly remember God speaking to me into my heart he said it was not audible he said I've never heard God speak but in my heart I knew I was hearing God's voice and God's voice said to me there on the practice field my first practice I want you to give this up (laughs) can you imagine so he's had this incredible turmoil in his heart God's telling him it's time for ministry it's time for you to preach like we've always talked about Time for you to give this up. And he went over to his head coach, a guy named Dennis Allen. He said, Coach, I need to talk to you. He's like, Yeah, what is it? We're about to start practice. He said, Uh, I really think God's telling me to retire. Like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you gotta be kidding. He said, Yeah. Well, Coach Allen, very wisely, he knew his offensive coordinator, a guy named Greg Olson, was a really committed Christian. He said, Go talk to Oli. You know, so he went over to talk to Coach Olson. He said, Coach, he said, I I can't explain He said, but man, God's God's speaking to me right now. And he said, I think I'm supposed to retire. And Olson's like, what? (laughs) He said, all right, he said, do this. He said, go home, be with your family, get down on your face at your house, and and just pray, pray really hard. Because, you know, this is an important time in your life. It's a real milestone in your life. Just like those kids we talked about earlier today. And so he went home, and he had to tell his wife, I think I'm supposed to retire from the NFL. And she's like, what? We just bought a house, you know, the kind millionaires buy. We're going to go bankrupt, you know. We're going to be so broke after this. But she said, but hey, if that's what God's telling you to do, then yeah, we'll do it. So he went up to his bedroom, put his forehead down on the carpet, and he was just praying. He said, I was there for hours, just there for hours. And he said, God, I'm scared to death. But if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. And again, he felt the presence of God come into that room so powerfully, and he felt God saying to him, Yeah, Derek, I knew you would, and I know you would do that for me. He said, There have been so many others that I've asked, and they've told me no, but you said yes. He said, Your time's going to come later. And he went back to practice the next day with a new peace, a new passion, new purpose, and he knew he was doing God's will for his life. And now he has, he's starting this, even though he still has his professional career going, He's starting to have a ministry, this men's conference, a men's ministry. It's really beginning, it's becoming explosive. And I'm expecting to be like the next promise keepers in America. I'm really excited about it. What does it mean to be we the church? The church are those people who say, God, I'm here to do your holy will. That's what it means to be the church. God, I'm here to do your holy will. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus was talking to the crowds, and someone told Jesus, your mother, brother, and sisters are standing outside. They want to talk to you. It's is biological family. And he answered, who is my mother? Who are my brothers and sisters? Then he pointed to his disciples, his students, and he said this. My true brother and sister and mother are those who do the will of my Father in heaven. I know I've shared this with you before, but I thought it was so appropriate today. The best definition of success that I've ever heard, and I've been living by it for the last 30 years of my life, is that success is knowing God's will and then faithfully doing it. Or you might say persevering in it. That brings up an important question, though. How do you know the will of God? Life is complicated. I get asked this a lot as a pastor. How, do I, how can I know what God's will is? You know, who do I marry? Which job do I pursue? What school do I attend? What house do I buy? Things like that. And the process of succeeding in life, you know, doing the will of God, persevering the will of God, begins with doing what Derek Carr did, and that is you offer yourself 100% to the Lord, and you offer yourself, just like the Apostle Paul did when he said, wherever I go, to the Corinthians, I don't know where I'm going to go yet, but wherever I go, you know, if the Lord permits, that's what you see him doing there, all right? Paul is completely available to God on a day-by-day basis. And he said to the Roman church in Romans 12, he said, I urge you, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, a sacred offering that brings Him pleasure, and this is your reasonable, essential worship. Do not allow this world to mold you into its own image, <clears throat> but instead be transformed by the inside out, by renewing your mind, and as a result, you'll be able to discern what God wills. You see, some people are going to say, I "Man, I, I I need direction from from God because." Yeah, I'm just not really happy in my job or my business. My business isn't doing well. But then they have a predetermined uh, location that they have to live in, a predetermined salary they have to make, a certain income they have to have. (coughs) Someone else might say, Lord, I really want to be married. But then there are these predetermined details about the kind of person that they would marry down to the finest, finest detail. A church might say, Lord, we really want to succeed in our mission to make disciples. But they predetermine what kind of programs they're going to have, what kind of music they're going to allow, and things like that. You see, God is completely committed to opening doors for his children to walk through. But the question always is, are we willing to walk through them? Psalm 32.8. The Lord says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God is always, always instructing us, guiding us, opening doors. But the question is, do we walk through those? Well, How did this work in the Apostle Paul's life? The, the process of the knowing and then doing the will of God. Look at verse 8. <coughs> I love this scripture. I'm going to stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because, number one, a great door for effective work has opened to me, and number two, there are many who oppose me. All right. When he says a great door, literally in Greek, it's megador. A megador has opened. And How do you know when God is really opening a door and it's not just your imagination or just your wishful thinking? I remember in my late 30s, uh, I did some skills testing, and i became convinced that i was supposed to be a church planter and so i bought books on church planting i read every article i felt i could find i went to leadership conferences cuz i just knew that god wanted you know as i look back at my life and you know using my best judgment my best you know ingenuity i knew god wanted me to plant a church somewhere in the rocky mountains nobody ever wants to plant a church like in Wyoming, or no, Wyoming is the Rockies, never mind, or like Nebraska or Kansas, okay, but I was at the Saddleback Conference, Saddleback Church out in Southern California, about 4,000 people there, you know, pastors and church leaders, and as the conference was coming to an end, Rick Warren said, I want you to introduce yourself to somebody sitting next to you, and so there's a man sitting next to me, I hadn't talked to him all week, and I said, hi, my name's Les Sharp, I'm from Texas, what's your name, I don't remember his name now, and he said, "My my name's something, I'm from Oregon, I said, really, what do you do? I said, I'm a youth pastor. I said, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm a, I'm a, a missionary, a area, it was called an area missionary, and I help church planters in Oregon. What? <laughs> I was like, no way. I said, that's amazing. And I asked him this question. I said, <clears throat> how does somebody become a church planter? And he said, well, it usually begins with a conversation just like the one we're having now. And I thought, man, God is blowing this door open for me. I have to call home and say, honey, we're moving to Oregon. You know, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> And so he said, I want you to see." so I said, what do I do next? He said, well, write down your vision, your ideas, your values, your principles, put all that down on some paper and send me a proposal. And man, I was just certain, man, God is just blowing a mega door open for me. And as soon as I got home, I had all these notes, you know, I had, you know, pieces of napkins, you know, when I get an idea, you know, and put things I'd written in the margins of books. I wrote, I took all that stuff I'd written down, all these little slips of paper and I started putting it all together, and I wrote like a 10-page description and proposal of the kind of church that I would plant in Portland, Oregon. And my uncle traveled a lot. He said, man, Portland, Oregon is the most beautiful city in the world. Man, I put that thing in the mail, and I said, man, I'm moving to Portland. Obviously, I'm not in Portland, okay? <laughs> I never heard from him ever again. And <laughs> you're probably thinking, "Less that's so sad. You spent all that time, all those late nights, you know, writing up that 10-page proposal. Not at all. About two years later, there was this little church in Borger called Faith Covenant Church, and they asked me to be their pastor, and I showed up. I had a well-defined vision. It was all written down. It was all ready to go. And it's a matter of if God opens doors for us. It's a matter of what doors he opens. And I would have never seen myself pastoring a small church in Borger, Texas. You know, I would have never, never seen that. We were a lot smaller back then. And God is always opening doors for you and me, but are we willing to walk through? And so Paul shows us two important questions to ask if we're going to know if God is opening a door and or if we're walking in the will of God. Number one is this, is God at work? You see, a lot of times if you'll ask the wrong question, you're going to get the wrong answer. And the wrong question we often ask in this arena is, is a question that goes something like this. What is God's will for my life? When I ask that question, the subtle, unspoken focus of that question is my life, not God's will. All right? The right question is, what is God's will? Blank. Stop there. Look at that word effective there in verse 8. Paul says, a great door for effective work has opened for me. That word is the word, we get our word energy, and it means to put forth energy, to cause something to happen, to produce results, to be at work. And it's so interesting that in the New Testament, this word is only used to describe supernatural power. When we think about this, during his 33 years on earth, the Lord Jesus always, without fail, 24-7, 100% of the time, He always did God's will. He always did the will of the Father. How? How could he know all the time? He told us in John chapter 5. He said, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Look at this now. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. In other words, Jesus never prayed that prayer. You know, God, what is your will for my life? It was always, God, what is your will? Then I will go, you know, then I will go do that. Where I see you working, I'm going to go do that. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. So we need to know this, that God loves you. And in love, he is showing you what he is doing. He's inviting you to be a part of that. And I have to pay attention because if I see an arena where I believe that God is at work, then I have to put my hand to the plow in that field. We as a church, if we see God working, we see God moving, we have to put our hand to the plow in that field. That's what it means to be we, the church, the people who have a passion to do all of God's will. You know, where's God working right now? You know, We've seen God working in students' lives. You know, kids from Frank Phillips College coming to know Christ. Kids at youth camp coming to know Christ. It's been amazing. God is working there. And so we as a church have to adjust our lives to what God is doing. And right now, just to be honest with you, finding uh, uh, leadership for our student ministry, it's been a battle. And, you know, our youth pastor search team, they have to become a youth pastor seal team. I mean, we're going to have to battle for this. That brings up our next point. And that is, if you want to know about the will of god is it a big scary challenge Yeah, you know i was sitting in my office late one night this was years ago and uh been a long week i had a lot of people who were upset at me around here and i remember i was just really deeply discouraged and i was really wondering it's like i was having this conversation god is it will is it your will for my life for me still to be here at Faith Covenant Church. I mean, church life was really hard. And let's just be honest. Church life gets really hard sometimes. There are misunderstandings. There are misinterpretations. There are conflicts. There are arguments. All those things still happen in church. Absolutely. We just handle them differently than other people do. There's always this metric that I used to use for knowing the will of God if things get easier if things get more peaceful you know you're in god's will you know if you know you're you're making more money in some other if you can make more money in some other place that must be the will of god if something is easier that must be the will of god well, i used to have this file cabinet in my office that i brought over from my previous job and it was next to my desk and on the corner of my file cabinet when i was still a youth pastor i used to write down scriptures and i'd write them on a piece of paper and i would tape them onto that file cabinet. And I remember I was sitting there, I was just so discouraged, like, God, am I still supposed to be here? Is this where I'm supposed to be? Because there's so much conflict, people are angry at me, et cetera, et cetera. And I saw this verse. I'd written there years before. And it was really faded. I could barely read it. But it was Paul saying, I will stay on at Ephesus because there are many who oppose me. I just read that, and again, I just, wow, yes, I've had it completely flipped over backwards. I realized that I had more of like a prosperity gospel mindset than a missionary mindset. My mindset was, hey, if it gets easier, it gets better, more lucrative, that must be the will of God. Paul's mindset was, I'm going to stay here, I'm going to stay on precisely because it is hard. That's God's will for me. It's hard. It's challenging. You see, Paul wrote this letter from the city of Ephesus, and you can read all about it in Acts chapter 19. And we don't know everything that Paul went through in Ephesus, but we know from his other letters that the challenges were intense there. In 1 Corinthians 15, 32, he says, for example, if I fought wild animals in Ephesus with only human hopes, I have gained nothing if the dead are not raised. All right? So you see, when God saved your immortal soul and mine, He didn't sit us down in a recliner. He enlisted us in an army. all right. And great doors of effective work are always going to arouse opposition from the enemy in the heavenly places. We want to do God's will. We have to be like Paul, and we have to say, I'm going to stay on. This is what God has shown me to do. This is where God has me to be, that I'm going to stay on. Staying on is having an unwavering commitment to do the will of God. Or another word for it that you see all through your Bible is the word perseverance. What is perseverance? The willingness to take on a challenge despite any difficulty it might present, any cost it might incur, or any sacrifice it might require. Let's be honest. Again, giving up feels pretty good. You know when you when you quit something or you say, I'm gonna. I'm going to take a break for a while, or, you know, I'm going to go in a different direction, you know, things like that. We have lots of nice names for it. It feels good for a little while, for a little while. There's always a few minutes of freedom. When your marriage is really, really hard, and you just give up on it, you move out, there's a temporary sense of relief. When your job is draining and you walk away, it feels really, really good and for a little while. Why didn't I do this earlier? You know. When church is challenging and you sleep in on a Sunday, man, that was great. I didn't have to see so-and-so either, you know? And that's awesome for a few weeks. But then inevitably, the bills come. I don't have a job. Friday night gets here. The weekend gets here. You're lonely. I wish I had my family around me. I wish I had my husband or my wife here. You see your people you like at church. You see them at the grocery store. Hey, I miss you. I miss you too. I really mean that. I really miss you. Yeah. You see, things like walking out, taking a break, they offer some temporary emotional relief. But if you don't persevere in doing the will of God, what you know is right, the price you and I pay is our joy. The joy that comes from spiritual maturity. The joy that comes from perseverance, growing you and me in godliness. This is why James said in chapter 1, he said, "'Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance.'" And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, this past couple of weeks, my sister was here because my mom, you know, uh, had a stroke a couple of weeks ago. And it's just been a a real ordeal. And my sister's kind of walking around Borger, Texas, and everywhere we go, like, hey, Les, what's going on? You know, and then like 15 people from the church have visited my mom in the nursing home. And my sister just shaking her head, she's saying, man, Les, like you know everybody. Everybody knows you. And then your church of your church family, they're so amazing. They're so great. Yeah, Sue, so you're right. You're really right. And I think back to that night. What if I hadn't seen that scripture? And what if I would have said, you know, this is just so hard. I'm just gonna move on. See, I was just a couple or three years into what we call Faith Covenant Church today. You know, that's like 15 years ago. You know, think about the time that it takes to cultivate all those relationships, all those friendships, and to build those things, and all the things that go along with that. It's hard. It's challenging at times. But, you know, I just realized, man, I would not be able to walk in the joy that y'all have brought into my life these last couple of weeks if I would have quit or taken a break 15 years ago. You know? It's just amazing. Just amazing. You see, the more we persevere in the Christian life, the more God grows our character, and thereby enabling us to persevere even more. And you see, when you give up and you, and you don't persevere, it becomes like a downward spiral in your life, and it, and it leads to things like anxiety and depression. But when you persevere, here it's like an upward spiral in your life because you get more strength and you persevere more, more good things, more God things come into your life, and you get to experience those things. That's why James said in one, chapter 12, verse 12, happy is the one who endures testing because when he has proven to be genuine, He will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You know, back in 2019, researchers at Penn State University published a report. They had studied 3,300 adults for almost 20 years, 18 years, starting back in the mid-1990s. And they rated this group of adults, over 3,000 of them, on their degree of perseverance in life. And here's what they discovered. People who persevere... Or at much slower rates for anxiety and depression. One of the authors of the study said this, Perseverance cultivates a sense of purposefulness that can decrease levels of major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, and panic disorder because people feel that life is meaningful, understandable, and manageable. In other words, if you want your life to have meaning, persevere. Parents, if we want our children to be happy, we don't focus exclusively on developing their talent and their skills or their intelligence. No, we would focus on their perseverance. And we don't rescue our children all those times when life gets hard. Absolutely, there are times we should intervene. Absolutely. But so many times, parents come in too early. And they interrupt the process of what God is trying to do in their child's life. You see, research shows us over and over again that perseverance is more important than talent or skill for achieving success. How many times have we seen the, the, the hyper talented kid get passed up by the kid with more perseverance over the long haul? There's a professor at the University of Massachusetts in Boston named uh, Jean Weka. She's been conducting research on child health for 20 years through this huge program, this after-school program in Boston. And she uses this after-school program as a place for her to do her research on young lives. And she was once asked by a major magazine, what is the biggest predictor of long-term success for students? 20 years spent studying young lives in great great detail. She gave them a one-word answer, perseverance. And so what are we going to say at the end of all this? When you're at the end of your rope, the Bible is telling you, tie a knot and hang on. (laughs) All right? That's what it means. Tie a knot and hang on. You cannot do the will of God. You cannot succeed unless perseverance is built into your character. We cannot succeed as a church. We cannot succeed as individual Christians until perseverance is built into our DNA. We have to be the kinds of people that stay on and do the will of God, even when challenges arise, when obstacles get in the way. Perseverance is not an option for you and for me. We are commanded to be a persevering people. Revelation 3.10, Jesus said, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you in this hour of trial which will come upon the whole world. And so as we conclude today, I know in a room this size, there are probably many people here today that want to quit something. You want to take a break from something. You want to leave something behind. It might just be for a little while, but you want to leave something behind. And I would just say today, if your marriage is difficult, but you have no biblical grounds for divorce then stay on if your job or your business is challenging but you have no clear direction on where to go elsewhere then stay on if one of your relationships with your children right now is especially hard and you're like i'm just done stay on if your friendships are demanding right now but you know that relationship is important and you know it honors God for that relationship to persevere, then stay on. And lastly, if your entire life is more than you can handle right now, and you want to leave this life, that is not God's will. And so stay on. Stay on. By all means, possible in God's grace, stay on. Let's bow our heads and pray together today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to ask you to quiet your heart before the Lord for just a moment. And I just want everybody here to think about that area of your life where you're really struggling. And there's just every cell in your body just wants to take a break. You just want some relief. I understand that. I understand that. But could you just, for a moment, think about what Paul said? I'm going to stay on in Ephesus. Because God is at work and I know God is at work because there are many who oppose me. I know God is at work because this is challenging. This is hard. I just want you to think about that. Kind of let that be absorbed into your thinking as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. What does it mean to do the will of God? It means to persevere persevere to stay on and so i just want to ask you today to go before the lord and if there's an area of your life that the holy spirit might bring to the front of your thoughts this morning where you just want to you just want to walk away you just want to quit you just want to leave you just want some relief just ask just ask the lord today to give you perseverance the will to stay on Just ask the Lord to give you a glimpse of the good things that will come into your life if you'll stay on. So I ask you to pray about that this morning. I'll be quiet for a couple of moments, and I'll pray for us, and we'll draw our service to a close today. Lord, I know there's somebody here today who's struggling so mightily this morning, Father. They, they, they came in here today, Father, just wanting desperately, Lord, to walk away from something. Maybe it's a marriage, a friendship, this church, a job, a business, a relationship with one of their children, maybe even life itself. So Father, it's going to come before you today, which is from the depth of my heart, I just ask, Father, this person would find new strength today to wait upon you. And, Lord, I just pray for that person today that they would just find new strength, Father, to to stay on. Lord, teach us what it means to be the kinds of people who persevere, the the citizens of your kingdom, Father, who stay on. And so, Lord, I just ask you to do that deep work in our hearts today. And so, Lord, we love you today. We want to bring you glory. Lord, we want to do your will. I just pray, Father, here at Faith Covenant Church, Lord, that you would work in us together as a people, Lord, that holy will to stay on. We pray this in Jesus' name today. Amen.